As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello there. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach concepts and share tips on how to thrive in nursing school and at the bedside. So welcome to your lesson on neural tube defects. And before we dive into this, let's take a quick minute for three stat facts about neural tube defects. So one is that pregnant individuals are advised to avoid hot tubs and saunas early in pregnancy as elevated body temperatures increase the risk for neural tube defects. Stat fact number two, since folic acid fortification was mandated in 1998, neural tube birth defects have dropped by 28% in the United States. And stat fact number three, between 18 and 73% of children with spina bifida have a latex allergy due to high exposure to latex through surgical and medical procedures, typically multiple surgical and medical procedures. And how about one more bonus stat fact? Spina bifida is Latin for split spine. Okay, so now that I've got your interest peaked about spina bifida and other neural tube defects, let's dive in. So a neural tube defect, or NTD, is a specific type of defect that occurs in the first month of pregnancy and it impacts the brain, the spine, or the spinal cord of that developing fetus. Though neural tube defects can occur in any infant, they tend to be more common in females than in males. Now there are two main types of neural tube defects, spina bifida and anencephaly. So spina bifida is a condition in which the fetal spinal column doesn't develop properly or doesn't close completely. And then anencephaly is a condition in which the brain and skull fail to fully develop. Infants born with anencephaly have a very poor prognosis and are usually stillborn or die soon after birth. So now let's talk a little bit about neural tube defect pathophysiology. So neural tubes are formed in weeks three and four of embryonic development. They begin as a neural plate and then finish as a neural tube. Now this neural tube makes up the embryo's central nervous system, brain, and spinal cord. The transition from neural plate to neural tube requires the developing embryo to go through specific steps called neurulation. Any deviation from the neurulation process can lead to neural tube defects. So the three layers of the embryo are the ectoderm, the mesoderm, and the endoderm. So the ectoderm becomes the nervous system and the epidermis. The neural plate comes from this layer. The mesoderm is the layer that develops into the musculoskeletal system, the urogenital system, the pleura, and the body's peritoneal linings. 
and then the endoderm lines the airways and the GI tract. So by the end of that third week of development, the ectoderm begins to form into neural folds. And these folds form neural grooves, which make up the neural plate. The neural plate then divides into two sections. The upper section is cranial, and the lower section is caudal. These two sections begin to pull away from one another and ultimately form a long, singular neural tube. Now, by the end of week four, the neural tube separates from the ectoderm, which completes its formation. As the embryo continues to develop, the cranial and caudal portions of the neural tube form the brain and the spinal cord. So again, when there's any disruption in this process, a neural tube defect can occur. So who is most at risk for a neural tube defect? So the cause of neural tube defects is not fully understood and studies suggest genetics could play a role. Other possible factors that could increase the risk for neural tube defects include folate deficiency, poorly controlled diabetes, anti-seizure medications, obesity, opioid use in the first eight weeks of pregnancy, and an elevated body temperature in pregnancy. Remember earlier I said that Pregnant individuals should avoid elevated body temperature by avoiding saunas and hot tubs. This is why. Additionally, a study from 2018 showed that women with HIV who were taking antiretroviral therapy that included the medication Dolutegravir had a much higher incidence of neural tube defects when compared to women who did not utilize that specific drug as part of their antiretroviral therapy. So the next question you might be thinking is, how do we prevent neural tube defects? So because folate, which is vitamin B9, is essential for proper neural tube development and closure, one of the best ways to prevent neural tube defects is for the expectant individual to supplement their diet with folate or what we often call folic acid. The recommendation is to take a vitamin supplement that contains 400 micrograms of folic acid daily in that month prior to becoming pregnant and throughout at least the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. In addition to that, people should be taking in foods that are high in folate if they're planning to become pregnant. And these foods include legumes, leafy greens, eggs and broccoli and citrus, as well as fortified breads, grains, and cereals. Remember, I said that folate started being mandated as a item that was added to certain products and that started in the late 90s. Since then, the incidence of neural tube defects has significantly decreased in the United States. However, it's important to note that though not very common, some cases of spina bifida are caused by a lack of folate being transferred to the embryo, even when the pregnant individual has adequate folate levels. An individual who has already had one pregnancy with a neural tube defect is at higher risk for this complication in future pregnancies due to higher activity of certain antibodies that affect the folic acid receptor. So just taking that into account for some individuals, taking more folate is not going to solve the high risk for a neural tube defect occurring. 
All right, let's talk about the complications of neural tube defects quickly before we dive into how we care for these patients. So anencephaly typically leads to death, as I mentioned earlier, or the child is stillborn. And individuals with spina bifida can have lifelong complications, including paralysis, bowel and bladder dysfunction, and lower extremity weakness that greatly affects their mobility. There are actually a wide range of things that a child with spina bifida may need to deal with, including a latex allergy. They may have GI issues, skin issues, all kinds of things. The most outward thing that you may notice, though, again, is the paralysis and the limited mobility. Children with hydrocephalus, which can occur with spina bifida, are at risk for some developmental delays, possibly seizure disorder, balance and coordination challenges, and other neurological problems. As a reminder, hydrocephalus is a condition in which there's too much fluid in the cranium. The CSF is not draining properly. This condition requires surgical intervention and lifelong monitoring. So now that you've got a little bit of some background information about neural tube defects, let's dive into caring for these patients, all the nursing implications, and we'll use the straight A nursing latte method. So we start with the letter L. How does the patient look? What are their signs and symptoms? So the signs and symptoms of a neural tube defect are going to vary depending on which type the infant has and how severe it is. So anencephaly is obviously going to be very apparent at birth as the infant will be missing parts of the skull, the scalp, and the brain. Now, spina bifida can take different forms. The most significant is myelomeningocele. And again, this is the most severe form of spina bifida. In this form, a sac with fluid and nerves of the spinal cord protrudes through the baby's spine and can be seen externally. This form of spina bifida causes moderate to severe disabilities, such as bowel and bladder problems, loss of sensation, and paralysis. Generally, the higher up the protrusion occurs, the more disability the child will have. The next type is meningocele, and this involves a sac of fluid protruding from the baby's spine, except in this case, it does not contain any components of the spinal cord. Because the nerves are not affected, Long-term impacts are minor and the prognosis is considered excellent with a surgical repair. And then spina bifida occulta involves a small gap in the spine with no protrusion of a sac or any nerves outside the body. This type of spina bifida often goes unnoticed until late childhood or even early adulthood and does not tend to cause any lasting disabilities. In some cases of spina bifida occulta, there is an external dimple or depression and a tuft of hair or a birthmark. And then another common manifestation of neural tube defects is hydrocephalus, which is typically noted by an unusually large head or rapid increase in head size. The infant may have vomiting, may have headache, may be crying a lot because of that extra sleepiness, and even seizures. We'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about assessment. 
you find it hard to sleep at night, then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. So that next letter in the latte method is a letter A, and that stands for assess. How do we assess an infant with a neural tube defect? So how you care for the patient will be determined by the severity of that neural tube defect and which type of defect is present. So we're going to conduct a thorough newborn assessment so that we really have a feel for everything that's going on with this child. And then for children of any age, you're making note of things like range of motion, sensory perception, and functional ability relevant to the child's age. Some specific assessments include, first of all, you want to observe for a visible defect on the infant's back if you're observing a newborn. This could be as simple as a dimple with a tuft of hair, or it could be a fluid-filled sac that may or may not contain components of the spinal cord. If a sac is present, assess the sac for leakage of CSF, assess it for redness and irritation. Also assess the skin around the sac and make note of any purulent drainage if any is present because this would indicate infection. You also want to assess for numbness or loss of sensation in the lower extremities. In infants and young children, this may involve irritating or painful stimuli such as performing a heel stick and noting a response. An infant who does not react to painful stimulation will need further evaluation by a neurologist. Evaluate the child for paralysis or weakness in the lower extremities as well as any difficulties with walking and any difficulties using their assistive devices. Assess for bowel and bladder dysfunction as appropriate for the child's age. For example, a 14-month-old baby is expected to be incontinent, but an 8-year-old child is not. That would be abnormal and indicate a bowel or bladder issue. Additionally, some children with spina bifida can have neurogenic bladder and may require catheterization for adequate emptying. So along with that, Maybe assessing for urinary retention would be part of your overall assessment of the child. Assess the child for developmental delays that could require further evaluation with a validated tool, such as the DAYC2 screening tool. This assessment is used to identify delays in five key areas, cognition, communication, social, emotional development, physical development, and adaptive behavior, and it requires a full multidisciplinary team approach. You also want to ask the parent about latex sensitivity, which is common in children with spina bifida, and if they're unsure, assume they have a latex allergy. 
assess the child for hearing loss and visual impairment that could require further workup by a specialist. And you also want to measure the child's cranium to assess for hydrocephalus, which causes again that increased head size, nausea, headache, sleepiness, and even seizures. The next letter in the latte method is a T for tests. What tests will be conducted for a child with a neural tube defect? So many diagnostic tests for a neural tube defect are conducted during pregnancy and include AFP levels, elevated maternal alpha fetal protein levels in the maternal serum and the amniotic fluid indicate that CNS abnormalities are probable. AFP levels are often obtained through something called a triple screen or a quad screen, which evaluates AFP levels as well as HCG, estriol, and inhibin A. These tests are generally conducted between the 15th and 20th week of pregnancy. There's also maternal serum FOLR1. This is a serum folate receptor alpha, F-O-L-R-1, and this will be elevated in pregnancies that involve a neurotube defect. Ultrasound could be done of the fetus that would show an incomplete neural tube. Also, fetal MRI is another imaging study that could be done. This can show abnormalities as early as 20 weeks. And then other imaging studies may be conducted after the child is born. This could include MRI, CT scan, and myelography. Now the next letter in the latte method is another T, and that stands for treatments, looking at the different treatments provided for an infant with a neural tube defect and a child who is growing up with spina bifida. So first we have surgery. The key treatment for myelomelangocele is surgery. Remember, that is that most severe type of spina bifida. And that child will need surgery to close the opening and repair the spinal cord. Surgery may be performed prenatally prior to the 26th week of pregnancy or within 72 hours after the child is born. Research shows that children who receive prenatal surgery have better outcomes with reduced disability when compared to children who have surgery after birth. Some children require multiple surgeries to repair the defect. Meningocele is also surgically treated and involves closing the opening to prevent infection and protect the exposed portion of the baby's spine. Note that, again, many infants with spina bifida are at elevated risk and have elevated incidence of hydrocephalus and they also could have skull malformations that press the brain down toward the spinal cord. Additional surgical procedures will be utilized as needed. And one of those specifically for hydrocephalus is a ventriculoperitoneal stunt or more easily a VP shunt. A VP shunt may be surgically placed to help facilitate drainage of CSF and reduce intracranial pressure. Another treatment or procedure that may be utilized is cesarean birth. Many babies with neural tube defects are in the breech position, and a C-section is often deemed a much safer alternative for babies that have a meningocele or myelomeningocele, which again is that more serious form. Another key treatment that cannot be overlooked is infection prevention. 
Infants with myelomeningocele and meningocele are at high risk for nervous system infection and meningitis. The sac should be covered with a sterile, moist dressing and changed every two hours or as often as needed to ensure the sac does not dry out because if that sac dries out, it will break. The dressing may be covered in a plastic film to prevent cross-contamination from urine or stool. And once surgery has occurred, you're, of course, maintaining a clean, dry surgical dressing, which can be a little bit challenging because of where it is located. Another key treatment is to preserve skin integrity. You want to ensure the area is kept clean and dry and, again, free of urine and stool. If diapers are worn, ensure they don't rub against the affected area or cover the affected area. If that defect is lower on the spine, diapers are actually not recommended. Another treatment is to ensure proper positioning. If you have a child with a fluid-filled sac, whether it contains components of the spinal cord or not, maintain the infant in a prone position to avoid putting pressure on that sac. And then another key treatment is addressing complications. Long-term complications of spina bifida will be addressed, of course, depending on the child's specific needs. This can include walking and mobility aids, therapies aimed to address bowel and bladder dysfunction, and treatments for orthopedic complications. Also addressing skin issues and gastrointestinal problems. So a common one is that many children with spina bifida have trouble with their bladder function and will require catheterization to fully empty their bladders as well as medications such as oxybutynin, which treats bladder spasms. And then another key treatment is to always assume that your patient has a latex allergy if you're unsure, because again, if they don't have one now, they could develop one because they're exposed to so much latex at a very young age. So assume they have a latex allergy, be on the safe side, utilize latex-free medical supplies with all individuals with spina bifida. Some common items that include latex include indwelling catheters. And even straight caths could have latex in them. You want to make sure you are getting latex-free versions. Glue could have latex in it. The tourniquets for when you do a blood draw may have latex in it. Gloves often have latex, though it's not common that we use latex gloves, but some gloves may have latex in them. And even balloons. If someone's visiting and they're bringing balloons, you want to make sure that they're latex-free. Other key treatments are physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech-language therapy. Of course, depending on the child's disabilities, we're going to have these additional therapies, and we want to get them started as early as possible as appropriate. Note that there are no medical treatments for anencephaly since the majority of newborns with the condition are either born stillborn and then the remainder die shortly after birth. The focus for these patients is emotional support for the families. So the final letter in the LATTE method is an E, and that stands for educate. What are some key things we're going to teach our families? A key component of your family education is assessing, first of all, their understanding of their child's condition and their readiness to learn. Depending on when they're learning about this condition, they may not be ready to learn about it yet. When 
emotions are involved. Things can be very overwhelming. If the parent gets a diagnosis of a neural tube defect, you're not going to immediately start teaching. They're not ready. Let them absorb the emotional burden of this, get over the initial shock, and then assess their readiness to learn. In the immediate period following the birth, you do want to be teaching parents, of course, ensuring that they're ready, but teaching them infection prevention measures, as well as how to hold the baby and position their child so as to not damage or irritate the sac if one is present. Other important teaching includes ensure parents understand how and when, of course, to administer any medications, ensure parents are familiar with their child's various therapies and the benefits of each. You want to teach parents how to perform range of motion exercises or reinforce the teaching that is done by the physical therapist. Teach parents to avoid latex, which can be in a wide range of household items as well, including bandages, pacifiers, and again, balloons. And you also want to teach parents the signs of latex allergy, coughing, itching and watery eyes, a rash, and sneezing. Ensure parents understand to seek immediate medical care if the child has difficulty breathing, hives, swelling of the face, lip, necks, or tongue, any difficulty swallowing or feelings of fullness in the throat, basically signs of a severe, such as an anaphylactic reaction. And if the parents are planning on having additional children, teach the importance of folate supplementation prior to attempting to conceive and maintaining that throughout pregnancy. So there you have it, your quick overview of neural tube defects. Before we close out today, let's take a quick minute for a listener shout out. And this one goes out to Michaela, who says, I'm finally done with nursing school. I started listening to the Straight A Nursing podcast while I did my prerequisites. I bought the Nursing School Thrive Guide and read it a few times. I was a big promoter of the podcast to my classmates and nursing students that I met through work. I'm going to keep listening to prepare for the NCLEX and to review things I won't do every day as a new RN in the emergency room. I want to say a big genuine thank you to Nurse Mo for all she does for nursing students. Michaela, congratulations. You graduated. You're all done. And you've landed a job in a really cool place. The ER is going to be a very exciting and dynamic environment. And I also want to thank you for sharing your enthusiasm about the podcast with other students that you've met. Thank you so very much. So if you found this episode helpful, I'd love if you would follow the show. That way you don't miss a single episode. I hope to see you back here next week. We're diving into peripheral neuropathy, something you will see a lot when you're working with patients, whether you're a student or a seasoned nurse. I'll see you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing, a proud member of the Airwave Media Network. For more educational podcasts, check out airwavemedia.com. And for more nursing-related content, go to straightanursingstudent.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Co features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night 
to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.